CIUT 89.5 FM, celebrating 35 years as the sound of your city. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of CIUT FM. Welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. We are back and we would not be doing our duty here on CIUT 89.5 FM if we didn't talk about what's happening in our nation's capital in Ottawa. And I have two guests on from Ottawa to do just that. One's no stranger to the show. She's a Murph. She's a family doctor, but we know her so much more than uh, that. Not that there's anything lesser than, of, than, of being a family doctor, but she's the originator of Jabapalooza. Um, she's been an activist on Twitter since the pandemic began. Uh, and uh, she really has been a stalwart standing up for the health of everyone. So um, uh, Dr. Kaplan Murth, Nilly, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Thank you very much. So let's, first of all, just before the show began, you started talking about the major um, threat to health being hate. Um, mm-hmm. I found that a really interesting statement. So expand on that. So if we look at, if we look at, um, if we look at the spread of hate um, that is right now in the streets of Ottawa, but that has really been, um, it's been, um, worsening throughout the pandemic, a polarization, this kind of uh, heroes versus villains narrative about, uh, you know, who follows public health guidelines and who protests against public health guidelines. If we look at that um, and we look at it not just as something that has to do with COVID, but that has to do with this underlying um, uh, racism sexism, homophobia, there's there's all of this, uh, what would have been um, hate that is only directed at us privately as healthcare providers and as, as um, people working in public health, uh, but now it's public, now it's in the streets, now it's we're face-to-face with it in Ottawa and people are shocked. Well, we're not shocked because this, this hate has been building, in fact, um, September of 2021, I stood in front of Queen's Park. Uh, you were there too. You know, we were talking about safety in schools, and I ended by saying um, that we were starting to see protests in front of hospitals, and we were seeing people throwing stones, and that this is not okay, and that this has to stop. And it never stopped. It is worsened. So, I mean, we've been faced with death threats. We've been faced with all kinds of um, horrible uh, harassment privately. Um, and sometimes publicly, but now now it's in the streets and now it's occupied Ottawa and, and it's on its way to Toronto. And it's really, um, that is the public health crisis. The hate that is, um, that is uh, fueling the protests that we're seeing in Ottawa, that is the real public health crisis. It's not good for anybody. It's dangerous for everybody. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, li- I'm hearing you and I'm, I'm thinking, but didn't we get a federal law passed that essentially criminalized threatening healthcare workers? Um, what's up with that? Why is that not being enforced? Yeah, so um, so shortly after I received the death threat and, and my colleague Nahid Dosani and others received similar death threats and, and had protesters in the front um, lawns and um, uh, the um, the 
president of the Canadian Medical Association, uh, Dr. Catherine Smart, went to Ottawa and spoke with um, the MPs and it was brought to cabinet and Bill C-3 was passed, um, making it illegal to harass or intimidate healthcare workers and also making it illegal to harass or intimidate patients seeking care. And, um, and that was supposed to uh, mean that we don't have to deal with what we're what we're currently dealing with. However, as anybody who is Black or Indigenous or Jewish or woman or gay or trans, anybody who's ever go to the police to say help me knows that unless the police will um, lay charges, it doesn't matter what laws we have. And so what. Uh, is happening right now in Ottawa is that, um, you know, clinics have had, like public health had to shut down vaccine clinics in order to ensure the safety of staff and patients, rather than the clinics should remain open and anybody who's outside harassing should be charged, like, you know, arrest those people, charge those people. We have a law that prevents that, uh, but the police were standing idly by. And now, as you know, in Toronto, people are, very upset because basically Toronto Toronto healthcare workers have just been warned not to dress as though they're healthcare workers when they're on their way to hospital because then they'll be easy targets. Well, like this is exactly what we've been dealing with for the last week in Ottawa. It's also what we've lived for the last two years. And um and it's absurd. Why should we have to go undercover? Why I'm gonna have a vaccine clinic next week for um youth with disabilities and high-risk youth. And um, I had to look for a place that could give me extra security. And um, and it couldn't be a place, like I've done vaccine clinics in schools. And then, um, in fact, the Ottawa police once phoned me during a vaccine clinic to say, look, would you like us to drive by just so that you have some police presence? You know, we can come by a few times. Um, but like in this, at this juncture, we can't, the, the, the police aren't going to come by. Nobody's going to come by. There are people who are um, real serious threats to our safety. So in order for us to have a vaccine clinic, we had to hold it in um, a location where the owners of the building are going to provide us with private security. And, you know, and basically their attitude was, you know, I reached out to them at TD Place, which is a, like a major installation in 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 central ottawa it would be sort of like the equivalent of doing something at i don't know the dome stadium or whatever it's now called in toronto but you know it's um so it's uh but like i had to reach out to the owners and say okay we want to do a vaccine clinic for these high-risk youth um will you help and and his response was absolutely we will help and we will ensure that you have extra security um but you know that's that's still i'm frightened for everybody who's working there and I'm frightened that the families who are going to be arriving with their um, high risk youth um, are going to have to um, deal with with um, people outside protesting or, or harassing. So it's it's really sad and um, it did not have to be this way. Uh, speaking here on the Radical Reverend Show, if you just tuned in, your host, Sherry Genova, I'm speaking to Dr. Nilly Kaplan-Mirth, a family uh, doctor and originator of the uh, 
Jabapalooza, um, multi numbers of vaccine clinics for those who um, who need uh, vaccines in Ottawa. And we're talking about, of course, the current situation there. Um, hashtag flu trucks clan that um, has occupied Ottawa for the last week. Um, and uh, and so I want to ask you, what's with the police? I mean, why are they not doing what seems to most of us looking from the outside in as just their job? I mean, if you or I were to park illegally on a major street blocking something, we would get ticketed and towed. Wouldn't matter if it was a truck, whatever it was, we would be ticketed, towed, fined. That would be the end of it. But here you have folk, and quite frankly, yes, there's a lot of them, but you know, there's been bigger demonstrations. Um, and it seems like the police have just uh, completely abrogated their duty. Um, and, and we were talking about the law to protect healthcare workers like yourself. And again, we're not seeing charges being laid under that law. What's going on with the police in Ottawa? Yeah, it's so hard to know. I mean, as the recipient of a death threat, it took four days for me to hear back from the police. And then um, they actually ended up doing nothing. And um, my legal counsel and I just this week finally um, submitted a request for a, a restraining order from the, the person who told me the police wouldn't even give the information in order to do that. Um, the police really like i mean historically police come down very hard well like you saw in toronto uh you know clearing out um homeless encampments but um but then they won't clear out people who are building like wood structures in downtown ottawa like I, you know around parliament propane tanks like that there is no there's no um rhyme or reason to uh the um idea that the police can't um, ticket or tow or force trucks to leave the downtown core makes no sense because as you said um, people are being currently um, ticketed by bylaw if they just move their cars like if you're in Ottawa if you're parked on the street after a large snowfall you get a ticket like that's 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 a, that's an Ottawa thing but um, because they need to be able to clear the streets of snow they're, they're very quick to ticket, but here these trucks are lining all the major corridors in downtown Ottawa and they're not being moved. Uh, I think that also the um, the passing of the buck is an issue because the mayor of Ottawa um, kind of uh, he didn't exactly embolden people, but he certainly did not say right at the very start um, that this is not okay. Uh, and he has not acted um, as he as he could have in order to um, come to the rescue of downtown Ottawa. But most of the politicians and and the um, the uh, you know the provincial the the MPPs who did embolden um, these protesters. Um, they, they are part of conservative ridings and downtown Ottawa is not a conservative riding. And, and I mean, that is, that is the sad truth. Like, I don't think that, well, there was one person who um, wrote a horrible, horrible thing about how um, downtown Ottawa is just a wasteland and, you know, it's just drug seekers and homeless people. And uh, I mean, that kind of callous disregard for the people who live and work in downtown Ottawa, um, where it is, um, a population that um, tends to uh, be more um, uh, diverse and more 
um, uh, more likely like it's, it's where the LGBTQ population is. It's where um, there are um, many um, newcomers to Canada live downtown. And I mean, like, it's just, it's, it's an area that is a wonderful, rich place to live and a place to work and um, abandoned by politicians who really only care about the suburbs. And, and that's been true in, in all the policy around um, like COVID stuff throughout the pandemic as well. But, but it's like really um, the priority is always the suburbs, not downtown. So um, yeah, the police are not going to come out and, and protect people. The um, uh, province isn't going to do anything. The federal government you know, um, rightfully does not want to negotiate with, you don't negotiate with uh, terrorists, right? So like, they're not going to go out and negotiate um, with with people. And um, and so Ottawa has been left on its own. I'm, I'm very um, worried for, for what will happen in Toronto, um, but also Toronto has, I think, historically, um, uh, you know, the, there are more people there who um, within, um, well, Actually, I don't know. Maybe that's not true because, yeah, Toronto, Toronto police aren't going to come to anybody's rescue. But, um, but I think that there are more people there who who will um, who won't tolerate this kind of intimidation and harassment that's been happening in Ottawa. Like, it, I think uh, it's it's just unbelievable that it can happen. Um, that what's been happening in Ottawa hasn't been um, stopped. I'm yeah. speaking uh, here to Dr. Nilly Kaplan-Mirth, and um, before we leave this topic of the, you know, uh, what's turned into kind of occupation of downtown Ottawa, um, uh, I, I, you mentioned early on uh, the presence of Confederate flags, uh, you know, swastikas, um, certainly we've heard lots of stories from people who've been harassed. Um, intimidated, et cetera, in downtown Ottawa. Um, the police seem to be just standing by one of their one of their statements, which was really shocking, I thought, was that they said, well, these people are dangerous. You know, we, we, it's not safe to, to, to interact with them. And I'm thinking, what is the police force for if not to interact with dangerous people on behalf of, of other citizens to protect them? But um, so, I mean, you know, because this has been this has been supported in the House of Commons by some federal politicians have stood up and quite unabashedly um, supported their, you know, right to protest, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and now Jim Watson, the mayor of Ottawa, has called for the RCMP, but look at the RCMP aren't doing much at the border <laughs> to stop that uh, occupation. Um, what should happen? Like, what needs to happen here, Nilly? Well, so here, here's the thing, is that at the very, very beginning, Canadian media should not have been um, reporting that this was a peaceful protest. It was never peaceful. And, um, and I am absolutely in support of uh, my, my journalist colleagues. Um, I think they've got, you know, a very, very difficult job. Uh, but we have a responsibility to report that, um, that there is, um, that there is a problem, that there is hate, that this is not about vaccines, that this is not about trucks, that this is about white supremacy that this is about um you know organized violent people coming to our cities and trying to disrupt and um so so we that should have been the starting place and now here we are we you know now it's like you know undeniable that this is what's happening um 
So we need to say that that this won't be tolerated. And uh, and I mean, you don't want to escalate violence. Uh, there are people who who um, will be really um, in danger if um, if you know it's escalated. Um, but um, but at the same time, like you know, we never should have allowed these trucks to roll into the city. So we need them. We need them gone. And I mean, I've seen good commentary um, from from lawyers saying that you know you can't you can't um, just um, you know call in the army. That's not that's not something that's allowed. You can't just uh, uh, you know call this um, an emergency that um, uh, you know requires. Uh, the Canadian Armed Forces, but uh, but I mean, there has to be there has to be a real commitment to to the safety of healthcare workers. There has to be a real commitment to uh, what we are um, doing uh, as um, we are trying to take care of the community. That that somebody has our backs, and that and that has been the the scary thing as a doctor as nurses, as anybody working in healthcare has tried to get through this is that we, we are under, we are under attack and we um, don't know who is going to actually protect us. If the police are too scared of these people to protect us, like how are we supposed to function? And that is not a healthy society. That is not, that is not acceptable. And it, and it, I mean, the politicians who emboldened this hate, um, they, absolutely should, should be held responsible for this it should it should um be um it should be uh considered as unconscionable for, for a politician or a leader to to uh encourage hate as it is for for these you know protesters to to be in our streets so um i don't know there's a lot of work that needs to be done i don't know how how physically or practically speaking they're going to um, take back Ottawa and how they're going to protect Toronto and other cities across Canada from from this sort of same scenario, but it's it's really not okay. Um, speaking to Dr. Neely Kaplan Mirth about the situation in Ottawa, um, just be, you know, final kind of finally, I, I do remember some of us do the G20 in Toronto. We certainly saw the police come out in force then um, against um, actually mainly peaceful demonstrators. Um, we know it can be done, so um, let's just hope they do it. Um, I also want to speak to you, though, about the pandemic, which it mm -hmm. seems like our Ontario government has said, well, um, we're in a learn to live with it stage with Omicron, um, that, uh, you know, we're not going to be doing the testing like we used to do. We're not doing contact tracing anymore. Um, in schools, it's really difficult if if at all possible to get rapid tests or even some N95s for, for teachers, for example. Um, what are you seeing in all this? I mean, we know that the death rate, you know, went through the roof during Omicron. We know that hospitalizations went up. They seem to be falling again. But um, now that we've we've lift, or lifted some of the, um, of, you know, the closing of businesses, you know, restraining of numbers, et cetera, um, as of the end of January, um, as a healthcare provider, what do you think of the current situation? So it's really, it's really um, hard to talk about whether the numbers have gone down when there's no data. And um, the, 
people in our population who are the most vulnerable, um, which, you know, at this point are all the children under the age of five who haven't been immunized, and particularly infants are the ones who are, who are being hospitalized, um, and then our oldest, and then anybody who's immunocompromised, and, and people with disabilities, um, all people who are most vulnerable, who are still uh, um, very much at high risk in terms of COVID, uh, have been um, ignored throughout the pandemic and are still being ignored. So it's, um, you know, we said, well, schools should have been the um, the last to close and first to open, but that's never been true. It's always been the bars and the malls and activities that um, adults, particularly adults with privilege, enjoy. Uh, and, uh, and that's not to say that uh, that there isn't a way to uh, to gradually open things up safely, but we haven't yet immunized. Like we are still waiting for vaccine for the six month to four year olds. And um, we're still working on giving people third doses. Adults need the third dose of COVID vaccine. It is what makes the difference between hospitalization um, or not. And um, hospitals are still so overwhelmed that our, our patients can't access essential services. These are not elective surgeries. These are important services that they need to be able to access in the hospital and they can't because they're so overwhelmed. So um, like we are seeing uh, all around the world, this narrative, the idea that we have to live with a disease and, uh, you know, and then our colleagues, our infectious disease colleagues and um, our epidemiology colleagues are saying like, uh, no, First of all, globally, most of the people on the planet still need to be immunized. As long as we keep opening things up, we're going to keep um, we're going to keep basically dealing with the next variant, the next variant. And we haven't we haven't done what we need to do to protect our vulnerable populations. We haven't done what we need to do to protect the global population. Uh, so um, so it's disheartening to see. You know, it's a political decision. It's. I mean, in Ontario, it's it's really about Doug Ford wanting um, to, to think about the next election. It's not about what is safest for the population. Uh, and um, and 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 then shutting down testing just means that, OK, so now we have no way to be able to tell you who is sick. We have no way. Teachers can't report cases in their classrooms. Kids are having to try to report the cases to their own parents. You know, through their peer networks, it's um, it's uh, it's just it's not okay to leave all of our vulnerable populations uh, to uh, kind of abandon them, um, knowing that um, that there are real sequelae to, to getting COVID, and long COVID is an issue for children as well as for adults. And um, so, you know, what are the what are the long term consequences going to be? Um, what are the consequences going to be for our seniors? One of my one of my patients in his nineties who's in retirement home. You know, they they were under lockdown again. They couldn't leave their rooms because they had you know thirty cases or or whatever in their retirement residence and. Here's the good news. Good news is that they weren't dying again because they've had three doses of COVID vaccine and we're trying to get in there into the retirement and long-term care facilities and give people fourth doses um, only for them, but for, for them. Um, so the good news is that vaccines are working to help to save lives. 
But, um, but the bad news is that there are a lot of people who um, aren't yet, uh, you know, uh, sufficiently uh, vaccinated. And there are, there are a lot of people who are being reckless and who, um, you know, are treating this spread of an infectious disease that's preventable as though as though it's no big deal when it is still a really big deal. Uh, speaking to Dr. Dilly Kaplan-Murth here on the Radical Reverend Show about all things Ottawa and all things COVID, as per usual. Um, so, I mean, it's really important, I think, that you said that vaccines work because you um, uh, you and I are on Twitter and you can, and I'm sure you're subjected to all of the misinformation that goes. Could you say just, you know, we need to put it out there over and over again, it seems to me, despite uh, the fact that been put out there over and over again for years now um, that vaccines work because what you're hearing now is people who don't know science 101 basically and are saying well most of the people who are getting COVID are vaccinated so why should I get vaccinated or why should I get my third dose or etc say something about that so it's so it's not true at all that that most people who are getting COVID are vaccinated um, uh, basically uh, Omicron was so contagious that it's spread through the community and the people who are vaccinated are the ones who are the least likely to end up in hospital. The people who are unvaccinated are um, absolutely predominantly the ones who end up in hospital with serious illness and they are also predominantly the people who die. So the vaccines are doing their job. That we, When we were giving vaccine, we said, you can still spread COVID, you can even still get COVID, but this is going to be the difference between a body bag or no body bag. This is gonna be what is gonna keep you alive and it's gonna be what is going to um, help to get us back to a place where we can get out of this pandemic. So uh, so the, the vaccines, they're safe, they're effective. Children need at least two doses, adults need at Three doses to be protected. Two doses isn't enough for an adult. They need three. So, um, you know, it it is um, it is so um, difficult when you speak to an older Canadian who lived through polio, who lived through other uh, diseases that we now no longer have to fear because we immunize, you know, they just shake their heads. Like I remember the very, very beginning when we were going into retirement homes, long-term care, and are speaking to um, people who are 100, 102 years old, and they were just like, of course, give me this vaccine, of course. But the um, younger people, uh, many of the people who are anti-vax, who are saying, you know, um, they don't wanna have to submit to this, like they, they have not understood, they have not lived through, um, you know, previous, diseases that um, that were such a scourge that were so, that were so dangerous to our population that we that we no longer have to fear some of our patients who are um, inclined to refuse vaccines who refused measles mumps rubella chickenpox meningitis vaccines um, some of them have actually interestingly stepped up and gotten covid vaccine and and you know I find that like fascinating uh, some of them stepped up to get vaccine because um, because it was required for their work or for their entertainment. Um, some of it got COVID vaccine because they could see that people were dying, you know. And so, uh, but it's really sad. It's really sad that 
you know, we're attacked, like when we were saying it's important for children to be immunized, and then we were attacked by people saying, oh, you know, it's, it's not it. COVID isn't a threat to children. Of course, it's a threat to children. And it's a threat to their younger siblings and to their the babies in their family. And it's a threat to their grandparents. And um, we do this to protect ourselves. And we do this to protect our community. So um, yeah, the um, anti-vax rhetoric is steeped in a lot of disinformation. And, um, and it's hard to untangle that disinformation. But the bottom line is vaccines do save lives and our vaccines are safe and effective. Um, almost at the end of talking to Dr. Dilly Kaplan-Birth, always a pleasure. Um, and thank you so much for what you've been doing and that you keep doing despite everything. Um, it's shocking what our healthcare workers are are putting up with. So we've got one minute left, Nilly. I want you to tell us why you keep doing it. What keeps you going? Well, I, you know, in death threats, yeah. uh, harassment, uh, much, much more work for you. Um, what keeps you going? So the group of people who've come together when we when we talk about blues, that's, that that it was named that by one of my patients. But we've given twelve thousand doses of COVID vaccine in a community um, kind of group effort that really filled up our sense of um, coming together, doing something for each other to help the community. It's an amazing thing when, uh, you know, you, you put out a call and you say, we need help to do this. And, and then boom, you've got 50 people or you've got 100 people who are there saying, let me know what I can do. I will walk up and down the streets, handing out hot chocolate. I will help to organize like whatever, all the, all the ways in which people have stepped up. Um, we have handed out um, more than a thousand masks and 95 masks to kids whose families don't have the money. We've been saying again and again, safety shouldn't be a privilege. And then volunteers step up and they really do something about it. So for me, like the passion in my belly is um, helping to organize community to take care of community. And um, if it weren't for that, honestly, this would be so demoralizing, so depressing. It, like I would walk away from medicine. I would just say, forget about it. But, but it is um, it is because there are more good people and caring people out there that I can kind of keep going. Thank you, uh, Dr. Nilly Kaplan-Murth. Always a pleasure. Um, and look for her going forward if you're in the Ottawa area and support the work she does. Thank you. Proudly student and listener-supported community radio. CIUT 89.5 FM, celebrating 35 years as the sound of your city. Welcome back to the Radical Reverend Show. Uh, and of course, as you heard from Dr. Nilly Kaplan-Mirth, the news here on the show this week is all about Ottawa and what's happening there. Um, hashtag flu trucks clan, if you're on Twitter or any other social. Um, and uh, as my second guest, I've got uh, none other than another United Church minister. You know that I am one too, Sherry DeNovo, your host. And I'm speaking to Reverend Peter Woods. He's the uh, minister at Mackay United Church in downtown Ottawa, and also an active musician in the Ottawa scene. So, Peter, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Sherry. 
So let's talk about you, first of all. Um, you were born and raised in Ottawa, so uh, this is your hometown. Um, talk a little bit about the history of your history, because you have one, with demonstrations in the Ottawa area and around the Parliament buildings. What does that look like? Sure, yeah, thanks. I've been, uh, yeah, I grew up in Ottawa. I, I headed off into ministry and bounced around the country, as many of us do in the United Church of Canada, uh, and so I've served um, served in New Brunswick and rural Ontario, um, and often in blue-collar communities. So part of my story in reflecting on today is how I, I, I see some familiarity that saddens me or disturbs me, um, but some threads that come to light for me from my life in 30-odd years of ministry. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Ottawa and very much formed by um, that social gospel uh, the, the left-wing side of the United Church of Canada. I mean, I think that's what drew me in around refugee issues in the uh, in the early uh, 1980s and led me to, you know, consider ministry. I ended up spending um, a year in El Salvador, Nicaragua, back in the mid-80s, working with uh, 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 advocacy and human rights groups at that time. And, and I, I feel like the United Church of Canada has always facilitated my connection with a, with the bigger questions, the the existential sort of social justice questions in my life, and kept me coming back to those. And certainly, Ottawa for me has always been, I mean, home, but also always a place of protest, a place where you know we've I've um, one time, several times, organized a peace pilgrimage where we walked from Kingston to Ottawa, and along the way did some peace building um, reflections uh, with different church and spiritual leaders, and and ended up on Parliament Hill uh, in a rally. Um, I've, I've uh, supported other, uh, uh, many events, dozens, I guess, over the years on the Hill in terms of a place where you bring your your, your concerns. And, and it is vital to be able to front those concerns. Um, I, we, uh, many of us were involved in um, anti-arms trade uh, protests here years ago. That was my one day spent in jail uh, was uh, being arrested for along with a couple hundred other people for for protesting uh, Lansdowne Park, people trying to come to shop for tanks and machine guns. Um, and that was a that was a, that was a great experience. That was a great experience. I know the leaders. I, I wasn't one of the leaders, um, but there was close communication with the Ottawa police. There was an understanding that we were going to do this that we were going to be peaceful. Um, and once we were arrested, which was the, the police were quite gracious as they dragged us into their uh, into the wagons. Um, but they, uh, there was an understanding that this was our, uh, our, our desire, our, our needs were being, or our, our protest was being, uh, was important to us and we were going to do it. And, but we got arrested and then Lawrence Greenspan volunteered to represent us in court and there was a whole process around raising the issue then through the judicial system i mean so i i'm just saying telling you that story because i feel like that's the, the world of protest that has shaped me and actually has always been sort of in the back of my imaginary as a united church of canada minister and as a citizen of ottawa so when i see this happening all sorts of things come to the fore um a sense of this, this, it's important to be able to do this. Uh, also, just an incredible sense of this is wrong, what's happening in our city right now. Uh, and I, I, I want to go on and talk about that. But does that give you, a, that's, that's sort of where I've come from to get to this moment. 
Yeah, absolutely. Speaking here on the Radical Reverend Show to uh, Reverend Peter Woods from Mackay United Church um, and an Ottawa one. Um, yeah, and Peter, as you're talking, I'm thinking about all the times I've been on Parliament Hill too. I mean, from, you know, oh my goodness, like going back from like the Vietnam War, even as a kid to, you know, we demand it was the first kind of LGBTQ rights demo um, uh, that I was there. I mean, I, I don't think any Canadian on the left or who's concerned about progressive movements has not been on Parliament Hill at some point in their lives demonstrating about something. I mean, and you're right, that's the place to do it. Um, uh, at, we're coming out of a, a, an interesting period of demonstrations too, and this is Black History Month, so shout out around that. Um, we've seen this incredible uh, Black Lives Matter movement that swept not just um, Canada and the United States, but right around the world um, in terms, uh, and their primary demand being, you know, to defund the, the police. And the primary demand coming out of this, uh, this experience that the police were not their friends. Um, we're not policing for them what we're policing them. Now, I have to say, speaking from a point of white privilege, uh, sort of like yourself, that was not kind of, I've never been arrested in a demonstration, I've been arrested, but not in a demonstration. But I mean, I, you know, coming out of a, a period of like, sort of, uh, and from our background, I mean, I've never experienced the police that way. And I gather now that I, I, I look at this new demonstration, I, I'm kind of ashamed to think, oh my God, you know, here we have an example of white privilege and police not policing them in the same way that they police, you know, uh, BIPOC bodies. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's an aside here on the Radical Reverend Show. I want to focus on the what's what's been called an occupation now in Ottawa because it's been going on for some days now. Um, and, you know, many of us on, on social media pointed out that if, you know, we parked our car illegally in front of the parliament buildings or our truck, even it would have been ticketed and towed long ago. Um, <laughs> and that would have been the end of it. But the police, I mean, Neely was earlier speaking on the show about their building structures now, like wooden structures in downtown Ottawa. So tell us about, you know, from your point of view, you've seen this up close and personal. Um, what's going on and how did this even come to pass? Well, I, I think I, I go back to your point about BIPOC. I, I mean, I think if you were, the, these were black or brown majority people on the Hill, there would this would not have been allowed to happen. So it, it is certainly an experience of white privilege. Um, yeah, I, I, seeing it all unfold, I mean, it, it feels bizarre to think that that, that convoy was, you know, in Saskatchewan and coming this way and it wasn't here for days later and it doesn't feel like the Ottawa police um, had a plan. Um, and I, I think there needs to be some blame laid at the foot of just managing our city and, and recognizing our uh, the options. What, what what I'm experiencing, I've gone down every second day just to be a presence. I, I don't even know. I, I feel drawn to uh, just just check out the crowd and see what's going on and, and feel, uh, you know, with, without really doing much more than that. I, I'm, I'm nervous down there myself. I, I can't imagine. And I'm a, you know, a privileged white older male. Um, uh, and I feel like when the chants start and I'm not chanting, I, I feel visible. Uh, so I can't imagine how um, uh, others might feel very uh, othered in that crowd. Um, 
the the sound is is almost nauseating it's when you when you park i park in the byward market about six blocks from parliament hill that's the last place you can get to and the wave of sound hitting your body as as i get closer to parliament hill is overwhelming um the, they're not just not just um the uh the the, the sirens that are the horns but also just the truck rumble like they're 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 doing they're revving their engines i mean it's it's like American graffiti gone wrong. Um, the the whole thing is so, but it's it's so aggressive. It's so aggressive, and there's an element of hilarity to the whole thing that I find quite um, quite disturbing. You know, there's this there's this level of a carnival almost as, as you get closer to it. And these days have gone on, and there's there's people offering Tim Hortons coffee and and donuts and you know snacks and water and and there's there's a, a sense of a festival and i really i feel like th there's an aggression in that in that sense of we are going to party here and we're going to do we're going to party hard um and we don't care what what uh, about about the community in which we've where we've arrived in fact it seems like a real assault um, i mean justin trudeau isn't hearing these horns um, the, the uh, most of the leadership aren't in the parliament buildings. The city is dead. It, nothing can happen downtown right now because of the trucks. So they're really doing it for themselves in some horrible social media echo chamber where, where uh, yeah, they're existing. Yeah, one some of the images that have come out, of course, of our uh, you know our anti-Semitic, racist, uh, homophobic, um, you know, we've seen Confederate flags, um, uh, swastikas, even um, certainly on social media. I know that you know healthcare workers, uh, Nilly was saying, are they're getting even death threats, they're getting intimidated in Toronto. Um, the police have warned healthcare workers that, you know, if they, they are conspicuously nurses or doctors, that they might be targets. And this is even after the federal government has passed a, a, a bill, Bill C-3, to make it illegal to harass healthcare workers. I mean, one has to wonder, um, and, and certainly around policing, um, you know, when you've gone down there, what do you see the police doing? Like, where are the police in that festival, quotes, unquote, I mean, they're on the perimeter. They're they're not. Uh, they're, there's there's quite a police presence uh, on the street for for sure. Walking walking around in groups. Uh, they they're they're definitely and they're definitely. Um, I mean, I was there. Now that the some trucks are up on the hill now, but there was definitely a big police presence uh, when you go from Wellington Street up onto Parliament Hill. Um, so they were they were protecting the Parliament Parliament Hill itself but also they were, they were also around the crowd they weren't they weren't in close there's a right at o'connor and sussex right at right o'connor wellington right in front of the peace tower that's the place where they gather at noon and sing the single canada there's sadly been like I, I know that pastor hildebrand um the, one of the christian leaders that has just been saying some very hateful things all along um has been present there uh, offering prayers um yeah, they. But that's. I haven't seen any police in close. I, I, I hope there's some undercover police in there. But um, yeah, there, there's there's not a, a strong presence. Yeah, I mean, in, what we what the world is seeing is kind of inaction. It's like, why? Mm -hmm. How did this even come to be? I mean, how are they even allowed to set this up without, 
you know, without being towed, ticketed and towed just away. You mentioned uh, the pastor's presence, and that's really interesting to me. Um, your United Church minister speaking here to Reverend Peter Woods on the Radical Reverend Show and um, that Mackay United Church, uh, church in, in downtown Ottawa. Um, it, there's a fair amount of white supremacy. I mean, this is clear and obvious from social media um, that's there, but there's this, you know, kind of, uh, kind of Christian right, I, I don't know how else to describe it, um, presence as well, hugely. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly on social media, this is really obvious. Um, we're Christians, you're a Christian. What, what do you think when you, when you see someone praying, you know, for the success of what are basically anti-vaxxers, um, among other things? Um, what, do you, what do you think, Peter? I'm, I'm, I'm horrified and I, I just want to get distance from it to the point that I'm I, I really wrestle with my identity. I, I, I would I'm hard pressed to tell you tell somebody in that group that I'm a Christian pastor because I feel like that's a, that's code in that in that crowd for being complicit and being supportive of their uh, of their views. And I am absolutely not and and nor are most of my Christian colleagues in you know I, I think in Canada, certainly in in Ottawa and in people I'm talking to every day in the Ottawa church community, United Lutheran Catholic, no, nobody's nobody's anywhere near these people. But they they they've co-opted our language as they have co-opted so much so much other language, uh, which is just a move on their part to co-opt language around freedom, um, and uh, and Christianity, uh, and and then to 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 weaponize it. It's certainly being being turned against us uh, uh, right now. I think my, my I, I partly want to say there's a heresy afoot here. This is this. And I, I mean, I, I have this sort of fantasy world where I would take them on on, on Christian like principles. And I, I realized I would never I mean, I would never win that argument, nor do I have the steam for it. But my God, they're 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 uh, it's it is a heresy to to, you know, be using the story of Jesus of Nazareth. To, to promote um, ill health and bad, you know, white supremacy, uh, let alone let, let alone the whole qu- question of how we've come to understand health measures as part of our gospel call in this moment to to, to ensure safety for our neighbors, to, to support uh, communities uh, in getting vaccines. So I, I very much see our our the, the Christian calling is antithetical to what I see happening on the Hill. Also, um, uh, some of the, some of the, uh, you know, uh, not, not only the swastika, but we're seeing other examples of anti-Semitism, of course, there as well. Um, and I'm thinking of, you know, how we stand really as people of faith in relation to our neighbors of other faiths too. Um, uh, and, and yet we're, we're witnessing, you know, folks, standing up in parliament and supporting, supporting them <laughs> um, tacitly or overtly um, tacitly saying, well, we'll drop mandates now um, and and overtly saying, calling them, you know, part of the freedom movement, um, using that term. Um, yes. uh, wh- what do you think our call is as, as people of faith in a moment like this? I mean, what's shocking to me is, um, and I guess, you know, for the for any student of history, you know that 
um, underestimate the right wing is not a good thing to do. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we can all think back to the 30s when, oh, that little band of thugs, you know, don't worry about them. They'll just go away. Um, this kind of, I mean, not to, you know, over overstate it, but this kind of feels a little bit like that. Um, so we're just kind of waiting for these thugs to go away. Um, and these thugs aren't going away, um, quite literally in Ottawa um, and quite generally, you know, around the world, actually, with the rise of the right. Um, what is our call in this in this time, do you think, as faith leaders? I mean, I I come back to a language of lamentation right now. Um, <clears throat> I found myself on Saturday on, on the hill. And. I don't. I mean, I don't know the. I don't know the the activist answer to that. I, I want. I want you to tell me, Sherry. Uh, but I, I think there, where I'm at right now is is I feel like uh, lamenting this moment is is what I what I was doing on Saturday on the hill. I I, I was off to the side. I you know I, I certainly was a minority presence uh, in terms of I, I didn't see. But anyway, I, I just didn't see people who I thought might share my point of view there was uh, a gang all standing on the eternal flame uh around the rim of the eternal flame and a guy on a bullhorn giving the most just the most aggressive speech about uh you know f trudeau and this code language for let's go brandon which there's uh, there's this weird code anyways all, all these code apparently that's that's f biden and but now people say let's go Brandon as a code. So and everybody in the crowd were chanting this these sort of code words, um, with with this with this glee. And I mean, part of me thought I was at I, I was, you know, I was in some warped universe where my worst adolescent tendencies were or. or society's worst adolescent tendencies of lack of impulse control of just nonsense what was suddenly being fronted, I mean, uh, and celebrated. Uh, so, so I want to lament right now. Um, I don't know how to build a bridge in there. I, I, that's part of the reason I keep going back. I keep thinking, I keep looking around as a, as a, as a pastor, wondering, you know, is there a conversation I could even have here? Um, and I don't have an answer. I don't at this point feel that I could. Uh, really, I mean, I, I I've chatted with people. We've smiled. There's a friendliness for sure. Like th there isn't. Um, people are a lot of high fives. You know, you know, people are celebratory uh, about where they are uh, in this in this moment. Um, but I don't I don't feel like they. I I don't know how to enter into the conversation. I I called one of my friends, um, Russ Day, who's done a lot of work around around uh, truth and reconciliation work. And, uh, and, you know, we, he's in Toronto and, and pa a pastor in the United Church as well. And we just couldn't, you know, I, I just don't have an answer. I, a tactic, uh, a way. I, I, I wondered about, you know, should a group of us be down there? Uh, and well, apparently that started, it. that has started right now. There are some counter protesters out there. I've seen some pictures yeah. of them, but, uh, but I mean, it, it, certainly the, the stories that we're hearing here and that have been amplified by, by Nilly and others 
is that, um, you know, they're, I mean, they're not sticking in one place, these folk, they're wandering around, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, you know, obviously, you know, to us LGBTQ people have been targeted, healthcare yep. workers have been targeted. Um, so uh, this is, I, this is, I gotta this say is happening, yeah. Uh, there's, I've had one mother and daughter in the, in my congregation who, who got, sexually harassed at a, at a, at a bus stop, um, uh, yelled at, um, and, uh, a friend who owns a, a Japanese restaurant downtown who, who her window was smashed last night with a hockey stick. Um, there's, there's the anecdotal stuff is, is like, it's just vast. Uh, certainly LGBTQ rainbow signs are being targeted in a, a couple of coffee shops downtown. Um, it's not safe. It's absolutely not safe. And shelters and shelters are, are fearing too, as well. Like we've seen um, some of them call out for, for protection. Um, I, and, you know, getting, getting back to this police issue. I mean, one of the things that I tweeted out was that maybe, uh, maybe we should park some trucks on Parliament Hill and have homeless live in them because the police will leave them alone then. Right. (laughs) Because we've seen in Toronto, the encampments being cleared out, you know, aggressively, you know, to the tune of millions of dollars of taxpayers dollars. And yet, you know, in, in Ottawa, they're just standing off um, and we're looking at them moving in this direction, which um, will be horrifying. Um, so, I mean, this is like, I guess, just generally um, to get back to the faith perspective here, we're seeing that this, the Christian, you know, uh, there's another hashtag Christian right is neither, but I mean, you know, we see the rise of the Christian right and it's incredible destructiveness in the um, in the states, some call it Christofascism. There's actually a term um, with the election of Donald Trump, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, even though, yes, we're kind of on the Christian left, if I could put us there, um, kind of you know in the sort of in the majority. Um, they get all the press, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, Peter? Speaking here, to, to, by the way, to Reverend Peter Woods of Mackay United Church in Ottawa and in Ottawa and about the situation there. Um, what, what can we do about that? I, I'm, you know, how can we kind of reclaim Jesus, if you will, um, from, from Jesus being used as this weapon uh, against, you know, people of color, queer people, you know, you name it. Um, how can, how, what can we do? Any ideas other than trying to talk to these people, which obviously don't want to have a conversation on Parliament Hill? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we've got this robust history of activism. Um, and, you know, even just hearing your stories, like all our, our collective stories are great. Um, I, I, I feel like, you know, in losing, in losing the language, in letting... Um, in, in, in those people claiming our language, I, I want to take it back. I, I, but I feel like in, in my echo chamber, in my social media world, um, we all get each other. That Jesus is, a, is, is, is the rabbi at the heart of my progressive vision of, of a kingdom of God that does, is, is all about um, breaking down boundaries. And, and so part of me is, have, is, has, have we lost I really feel like at this moment, um, I, I'm, I'm challenged to just to claim my, my own title as a pastor. 
in in that setting. Uh, and part of me wants to walk away from it, uh, so I I I, I won't. Uh, and I feel like in my own setting, uh, I I'm I'm okay. Like like we we get each other, but breaking across. And I, and again, I I guess as somebody who for most of my career have been in quite blue collar communities, I I I see people who I I mark one of my lamentations is I have a sense that what if some of these people are kids that were in my Sunday school 25 years ago? Uh, and I, I, I don't think they are, I really don't want them to be, but I have seen one couple from my previous pastoral charge, my previous congregation I served standing on the Hill last week with a big sign, uh, husband and wife standing there, uh, mandate freedom. And there's their social media tags were all about what a great feeling to suddenly be able to be with your people and it's like, oh no, oh no, what, what, what have, what have I missed that they heard me preach or you know speak from a pulpit for 15 years, and, um, and and they're there and I'm here. Uh, so part of part of me is it wants to occupy that space for a little bit and just realize like that the the trauma of that space. Now I think. I would never, I'm quite confident that the vast majority of United of, of people that I shared ministry with over the last few decades have no interest in being on the Hill. And a lot of them are truck drivers. A lot of my, my closest, uh, my, especially New Brunswick, the industry mostly was trucking in the congregations I served, and they are not on the Hill. So that's well, some 90 90 percent of truckers. In fact, yeah. the trucking uh, associations have come out and denounced it as well. But I hear you. I mean, um, you know, uh, there is a working class element to this. And, and, I, and I think, you know, that's another you know, issue for another day on this show. But um, it, it seems to me a failure of the left generally to mm -hmm. galvanize the working working class folk across this country, coast to coast to coast. Um, uh, with progressive and just you know, ideals rather than this. The right wing has kind of swooped in to exactly those folk that, um, and many of them that you and I have have ministered to in our in our rural charges. Speaking here to uh, Reverend Peter Woods from Akai United Church about all things Ottawa in uh, this in this segment. Peter, just because we've just got a few minutes left, I want you to give us some hope. I asked this from uh, Dr. Neely before you. Um, what gives you hope in going forward, uh, despite what's happening in Ottawa? What gives you hope? I, I mean, uh, resilience is probably the most overused word in the pandemic uh, on, on the hope side of the equation. But I certainly see that as, I, I'm, uh, as a musician. I'm in touch with a number of venues. I, I, I had gigs canceled this weekend, postponed. Um, but in conversation with some of the bar owners and venue restaurant owners, they are 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 so are are so patient at this point. I'm really struck. Um, you know, a year ago, uh, when you know it just looked catastrophic, and it is catastrophic. But uh, people have have learned some skills a hard way. We all have. Um, but I really feel like right now. Everybody is, you know, there's a, a, I was supposed to play last night down right, right a block from, from the protests and the gig is now next Thursday and the, and the uh, venue uh, is quite confident that we'll be back and there'll be people out and we'll be having fun together in a safe environment in downtown Ottawa in a few days. Um, so 
uh, we've all been wrong before about things getting better, but uh, man, I I want to I want to celebrate the the resilience and hope of people. And and I got to say, some of the younger people, some a couple of my one of my nieces, one of my daughters-in-law, who who are real uh, activist voices, um, their voice and their ability to decry this, and not from a faith point of view, but just name it and name it hard. Um, on on social media, on Instagram, they are making some brilliant statements, and I and I so I see I see a strong strong um, generation coming behind us with with really solid values, and they are there's lots of them, so that's good news. Well, thank you, Peter, for being on the show and uh, for being a voice of, uh, of faith in tough times. So keep on keeping on. And uh, and to all of you out there in listener land, love to hear from you, love to hear your comments, questions, always respond. Um, until next time on The Radical Reverend Show. For business owners and Canadians who continue to struggle, there are targeted financial support programs available now. Visit canada.ca slash coronavirus to learn more. A message from the Government of Canada. 